So as most of you know, we've been looking at our relationships in the church. Um, what do we do when we um, don't see eye to eye, but we're still trying to walk hand in hand? And we've seen in the New Testament that the writers are often describing the church as having this living in kind of a tension um, where there's two truths, and they're both right, but sometimes they appear to contradict themselves. So we talked a few weeks ago about exclusion and embrace, and they're both right, but sometimes it, those, the language in those words seem contradictory. Paul, when he thought about the church, he talked about oneness and manyness. Again, they can contradict each other. Oneness and manyness. And both sides are important. Both sides have to be emphasized. Um, when he needed a metaphor or an image or an illustration for how he wanted to describe the church as that something that would represent both oneness and manyness at the same time, Paul used the metaphor of the body. It's one. It has the same DNA throughout and yet made up of many parts. There are many organs and yet they appear to be completely different. The eye is very different from your pancreas. Your foot is very different from your ear. One body, all the same stuff, but the parts differ from one another as much as they could possibly be different. So today, when we come to this contrast, a church that is established and rooted, and at the same time moving and growing and expanding, the image that seems to bring these two opposites together is a tree, a fruit tree in particular. And in fact, the more that it's rooted, the more that a tree is rooted and established and fixed, the more we also see that tree spreading and growing and being fruitful. So as we think about the mission of the church today, I want to tackle a few questions if you're a note taker. Why does the church exist in this world and what is the church doing? By what is a rooted church? And what do we mean by what is a moving and a evangelized, and why do they not? Because people do both. And what do we do about that? The Bible commonly uses the imagery of rootedness and being established on a good foundation. Jesus Christ, in his most famous sermon towards the end, referred to two builders. One built his life. And the writers of scripture make lots of comparisons between our spiritual life and plants and trees and agriculture. So the first psalm describes a person who knows how to trust God, and it says, He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. So in all of the New Testament letters, you will also find these aspirational prayers that Paul has written. Their various apostles write down what their aspirational hopes are for these new Christians that are new converts to Christianity. And a lot of the prayers are naming their desires that they have for these young Christians to become rooted in their faith. And so at the end of Paul's great reflection on 
the reality and the logic of Jesus' resurrection, he writes in 1 Corinthians, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. To the Colossian Christians, Paul writes, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. This one almost sounds a little bit like you have to be stubborn, or stubbornness is required for you to be a Christian and stay a Christian. How about the church in Ephesus? Those were very young Christians, and Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner, beings, inner, inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here those words are again, that you be rooted and grounded in love. And again, to the Colossians, as you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. So you can see that there's a big stress in the New Testament writings on being solid, rooted, strengthened, grounded, and stabilized. But yet there is another side to the holy into our human history and that the kingdom of God enemy soil and that the great renovation has begun. The apostles are looking for change. They want an alternative cities within the city. That in these churches, people relate to one another on a different basis. The lion lies down with the lamb. The rich man who has many servants and the lowest of those servants is now considered an equal with the rich man. The fruit of the spirit is love. And these churches are built and strengthened and fixed, and solid, and movable, not as some sort of monument or statue, more like a tree. We know that a tree is fixed, and solid, and stable, and rooted, but also it's alive, it's organic, it reproduces. You've probably heard, instead of the contradictory language I'm using today of established and rooted, you've probably heard of the church being described as an organization and an organism. The church has structure and order, but it also has life and energy and is dynamic. So when we get to the book of Acts and the historian named Luke looks at the unfolding story of the earliest Christian church, located near the Mediterranean Sea. He pauses from time to time in the book of Acts to summarize this story. And routinely, he's mentioning growth and movement and the phenomenal expansion that was happening with the first church. Luke wants us to see that this church was never a shrine, but a vine. It's spreading and it's growing and it's changing the landscape of the Roman Empire. People were being added to their number. Outsiders were taking notice, and they were liking what they saw. Even when these Christians are persecuted and they're scattered, the first Christian church established? Yes. That was the final goal. Fixed and solid and immovable? Yeah. But not like a dead monument 
more like a deeply rooted and lush and leafy tree offering bee this way. Why is it, and this is a fair question coming from non-Christians, why can't Christians just leave it alone already? Why do the ones I happen to know go around trying to convert everyone? Haven't you seen that bumper sticker that says coexist? And another question that rises up in this situation, do you try to convert people? Should Christians want to convert people and spread the word? And if that's true, do you? If we're supposed to evangelize or proselytize or share the message, I, it, whatever word you want to call it, it doesn't matter the word, but I'm wondering why don't we? So let's try to explain the dilemma here about evangelism to both non-Christians who are afraid of it, and I want to explain it to Christians who are afraid of it. I see you nodding. So first, why do Christians have to go around trying to convert everybody? Well, first I want to admit right off the bat that not all so-called evangelism is good evangelism. There are many Christians that have hurt people and they've been so insecure that they felt like they had to increase our tribe and sometimes that was including hanging scalps on their belt and dominating other people. Jesus Christ had a warning for the religious people in his day that their evangelism was driven by these types of motives. In Matthew chapter 23, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. So, if you are not a Christian, and you're sitting in this room right now, and you are afraid that some Christian is going to try and convert you, well, your fears are not entirely unjustified. Jesus knew it was going to happen. Jesus warned that not all evangelism is wholesome and good and helpful. But when Christians do evangelize the right way, when they're telling people what we call the good news, that's the meaning of the word evangel, it's not, oh, we have superior lives and you must do what we, what we tell you to do. And it's never been, oh, we figured it all out and you're stupid because you just don't get it the way we do. Nor is it, mm, you should do this, and you shouldn't do that, and you better shape up. Stepped into time and space through the person named Jesus of Nazareth, lived in fulfillment of his own commands. And Jesus did that in my place. I told someone a couple weeks ago that in my place are the three most important words for understanding the Christian message. And after Jesus obeyed in my place, he was then punished. He paid my sentence and he experienced the justice of God for what I deserve and he took hell in my place. And after all that, to show really did balance the books. Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses who were utterly convinced that it was him. He rose as he said he would and he was this new and indestructible and he was able to save us. That's the news. And with it comes an invitation, come unto me, 
and I will give you rest. Stop claiming to be good. Admit that you're not good enough and rest in what Jesus Christ did. Trust him with your past. Trust him with your present. Trust him with your future. Simply ask Jesus to step in and restore you. There. That wasn't so bad, was it? That's it. Good news like that. Is it any wonder that Christians would want to tell people about it? I mean, if it really truly is good news, or even if we just believe it's true, it would be criminal to keep it to ourselves. If you go eat in a really great restaurant and you are really satisfied with the food and the service and the price, you tell people about that restaurant. It's a no-brainer because you want to share it with them. And for the Christian, it goes deeper, deeper than that, because we also believe that just as in the physical or organism, there's always this drive to reproduce, for the spiritual and what we can't see, what we can't see, life brings life. Life brings into being more life. So somehow, what I know is that God has had a personal contact with me and inwardly convinced me that this good news is true. God made me alive to this news, and with this life comes a drive to transmit life and to bear fruit and to reproduce. Be fruitful. Go and make disciples is the drive. And so if all this is true, why don't we do it? Why don't we spiritually reproduce? It happened in the earliest Christian church. We read all the summary statements in Acts for you. Why do so few people in the church tell others about the good news? What if, don't raise your hand right now, but what if last two months, six months, a year, how long would I have to go? How far back would I have to go in order for you to raise your hand. Now I know there's a host of reasons. You don't know what to say. I'm too busy. All my friends are people who already believe, or I don't want to be labeled crazy and a fanatic. I would tell myself the very same things. And I'm not going to guilt you into it, but I will say this. The way to go out is to go deep. There's no separation here. The writers of the New Testament say that the more you truly get established and rooted, the more you will bear fruit and look outward. So when you come again to Jesus Christ the way you did the very first time, not just to learn more about him, but that has its place, you need to learn more about him, but when you come again to Jesus and actually appeal to Christ, when you're free from the illusion that you're basically a good person and who has a little... Little, very little need for the bloody mess on the cross. When you finally have a sense of unworthiness and you get a sense or a feeling or a taste or a fresh experience of God's love for you in Jesus Christ, you get deeper rooted in the grace from fresh repentance and fresh faith, fresh faith. then the good news becomes too sweet to hold it in and keep it to yourself. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. 
if I am getting established in my faith and am believing and freshly depending on Jesus, I will share the story with others. That we do feel guilt about this. Or maybe some of us feel fear. Story of our hope. And we confess that to you now. God, we pray that you would help us to see that good evangelism never comes by guilt. It moves in our lives. And we know that God's work is received only when we're childlike and only when we repent and believe. So put us in that posture now, God. Work out in such a way in our lives and make us a congregation and a church that's rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ that we would go and spread and bear fruit and expand for your kingdom. We pray this for your glory and for the good of all who hear and all who believe. In Jesus' name, amen.